Okay, Parashat Vayera is on page 28, but before Parashat Vayera, I want to rewind a little bit and bring you back into Parashat Shemot before we make our way to Parashat Vayera. So let's begin again with the story of Moshe. So let's turn to page 6. So page 6, what I'd like to do is read some of the Pesukim with regards to the early life of Yosef, of, of Moshe, excuse me, and notice a very simple yet present theme in the early life of Moshe, which if we pay careful enough attention, we'll notice is, is really the theme throughout this, uh, this experience in Egypt and the, uh, and the Yitziah, the exodus from there. So on page 6, it's the early stages of Moshe's development. And if you pay attention just for a moment to what happens, so it's a story that we're all familiar with. It's the daughter of Paro, who is down at the river, and the Pasuk describes how in Pasuk So the daughter of Paro goes down to the river's side bank to wash. The Midrash says she's coming to wash from Avodah Zarab. In the most simple sense, she's going to wash herself or to wash her clothing. And that is, for some reason, relevant. Why is it important that we know why she's there? Couldn't the text, the Torah, just have described she's there and behold, Moshe is there? And Pasukin is teva She sees the teva, that basket which Moshe is in. It's in the reed area. She either outstretches her arm or she sends her maidservant to get Moshe. Why was that detail necessary to tell us why she was at the river. And I think, and it's already from the first real narrative in Sefer Shemot, the introduction to the life of Moshe, we're already introduced to the theme of careful and sensitive noticing. Because although she could, and we wouldn't be critical of her if she was distracted, she's focused on what she's there to do, to wash herself, to wash her clothing, to wash whatever she's doing, she nonetheless raises her eyes and sees another being. She sees something outside of herself. It means that Sefer Shemot, the story of Moshe, begins with careful noticing. It begins with seeing someone or something outside of yourself. It's a theme which will be literally repeated time and again and again in the story of Moshe. Briefly, uh, to the bottom of the page, um, bottom of the page here on page 6, it's the... Um, the growing up of Moshe. He gets a name. He got older and quickly in the top of page eight. Moshe. Moshe gets older. He goes out to his brothers. We pointed out the ambiguity in that word last week. And yes, Pasuk then tells us. He sees, he notices their suffering. He notices an Egyptian striking a Ivri, uh, an Israelite. Uh, the Pasuk, again, very tellingly, two times mentions that he sees. The first one is even a little bit cryptic, because the second one is particular. He sees an Egyptian. What's the first one? Vayar besivlotam. He sees their torture. Rashi, in a very famous statement, writes, Natan enav velibo lihiot meser alehem. He gave, he handed over his eyes and his heart 
to be a part of their pain. It means that the introduction to the life of Moshe has continued for us. It's not just the person who saved him, it's the legacy of Moshe. Moshe's mission is to notice others, is to become a part of the experience of others. Uh, the Pesukim continue. On page 8, here, three lines from the top. Excuse me. To people from his people fighting. In other words, to Ivrim. He speaks to one of them, the wrongful one apparently, and says, why are you striking the other? He involves himself, so to speak, positively in the business of others. Moshe's early life is pronounced by noticing others. I'll pause for a second, and very similar to what we mentioned last week in terms of the anonymity, not having a name, and identity, of being uh, the experience of a slave as opposed to a free person, I'll say it's the same thing, at least in my mind, over here. When you're a slave, you can't focus and notice anyone but yourself. If you're going to survive, you're going to, I heard this from my grandfather more than once, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, he had a little bit of regret, but he can't and shouldn't have any regret. As a prisoner, as a slave, you don't have a choice but to focus on yourself. How could you look outside of yourself? Moshe, as a free person, as from the Egyptian side of things, he's the right and chosen individual. He can notice others. He needs to teach others how to notice. That's going to be a big part of Moshe's mission. Moshe's mission will be not only redeeming the people physically, it'll be redeeming them emotionally, psychologically. You guys are coming from a slave mentality. Slaves necessarily and appropriately focus on themselves. We as free people, Moshe says, and models in his early life, need to realize and understand that we can and must focus on others. And the story of Moshe continues on page 10. Moshe has run away, well, maybe at the bottom of page 8, and notices and redeems these women, uh, one of whom becomes his wife. But then, here on page 10, most uh, significantly for me at this point, Pasu Kafkima, three times, three lines from the top. What's that, Ron? Oh, what about when he sees the question Not there yet. Not just there yet. He's almost there. Um, it's going to be a very telling one. Uh, perhaps the most important one. Vayamot melech Misraim, vayanehu b'nei Yisrael min ha'avodah, vayizaku. So it was at that time. Moshe is in Midian. He's run away from Egypt. He's the noticing individual, but he's run away. And the people are crying out to God. And we could have sufficed with that description. Vayizaku vata'al shav'atam el ha'elohim in ha'avodah. Did he catch the words? Their cries go up to God. It's almost as if it's not only Moshe who's noticing, it's God as well. The redemption from Egypt will be a story of and a lesson about noticing the pain, the suffering, the difficulties of others. We're going to go out of our way. God hears their cries. Someone asked last week, why are they redeemed from Egypt? Who are they and what is it that gives them that merit? The Pasuk doesn't only say the next words, God remembers his covenant with Abraham and Tzachim Yaakov. It's more than that. It's that he hears their cries. I mean, there's a lesson to be learned in and of itself from that. This is a story, this is a lesson which is developing about what it means to be freed from Egypt. In Egypt, I mean, the truth is even the word Egypt is mesar, it's straight, you're in this narrow strait. 
You can't really focus when you kind of have narrow borders on your two sides and aren't capable of moving your eyes around and seeing things around you. The cries of the people come up and God notices them. He realizes them. He pays attention to them. That's the story of, of, of a free person. It's the story of what we maybe weren't able to do back then. Yes, we um, we, like, briefly, I just want to ask you, but what, what about the Midrashim say that Moshe's relationship with Paro in that time? Like, he lived in the palace with them, and now all of a sudden, like, he, does he really know that he was Jewish, and does, like, you just don't know? We don't know. The text never tells us. Again, that speaks to that ambiguity, you know, the difficulty of understanding. Who's he going, Lirot et Echav, he goes out to his brothers. Which brothers? Does he know they're his brothers? Um, does he have two sets of brothers, the Egyptians and the others? That's what Ibn Ezra in this strange statement says, Ehav are the Egyptians. And then he sees one striking uh, one of his brothers. He almost awakens to the fact, I don't know. Yes. I don't know. Are you not up with the news? You know that Hamas son of the general who's outspoken? You don't think they want to kill him now? I mean, he's from their clan, from their family. I'm sure they hate him. He's against everything they stand for. So I mean, that part doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't surprise me. Uh, what he was and his relationship, I don't know. Uh, the concluding pasuk again, it's it's almost like that pasuk of Moshe uh, to see sivlotam, lerot sivlotam. Listen to an unnecessary description, seemingly. Vayar pasuk kafe vayar Elohim et bnei Israel. God sees bnei Israel. You're listening to the words. He's not just acting. He's not just quote unquote whatever means remembering his covenant. He's seeing bnei Israel. He's paying attention. Vayeda Elohim. As a result, he understands. He connects with them in some way or fashion. It means that this story has been and will be again and again and again about seeing outside of yourself, about paying attention to the other, about realizing and understanding life doesn't center around me. There are other people necessarily deservant of my attention. As a slave, I can't do that. So to speak, quote unquote, as they are enslaved, God's barely paying attention to them. The truth is, and we'll come back to this pasuk in a bit, at the end of Parashat Shemot, the pasuk describes how when Moshe arrives on the scene and says, you know, it's time for us to be liberated and freed, Paro has this comment. Paro's comment is, clearly, they're not working hard enough. It's coming up. It's at the end of Parashat Shemot. And therefore, we need to give them heavier work. And the content, I think, over there, the purpose of that is as well, they're thinking too much. They're paying attention to the world, to themselves, to others. Get them distracted again. Too much free time to focus on other matters other than the here and now work that you have to do. Uh, we'll, we'll return to that in a bit. Okay, uh, so now, uh, just lastly in Parashat Shemot, before we segue into Parashat Va'era, is the, uh, perhaps the most notable moment in Moshe's life, aside from, I guess, Ma'amad Har Sinai, it's the burning bush. Listen to the description of this burning bush on page 10, Pasuk Aleph in Perekima. Umoshe haya ro'eh etzon yitro hoteno kohen midyan. Moshe was a shepherd. A shepherd already is a, a profession or a, uh, 
evocate whatever we're calling it, in which you have to pay attention to others. It might not be human beings, but you do need, do need to think outside of yourself. It's not just your job. You need to be in tune with the needs of these animals and things of that sort, in addition to nature and things as well along those lines. He moves the, the, his flock in the direction of the desert, which is a very strange description already. Why is it going in the direction of the desert if they're... Uh, animals, they need a graze, they need food. The desert's not going to bring you to food. That's where the Midrash jumps in and tells this well-known story. It was because one of the uh, sheep ran away and Moshe is looking for it. Pause and realize the significance of that story of the Midrash already. He's caring for a little sheep. His introduction to God is through care for another. It's an amazing thing. Um, by the way, there's a parallel in that story to the early story of Shaul and Sefer Shemuel. If anyone's familiar with the early story of Shaul, I know it's been a while, Rich, but um, the early story of Shaul, he's also he's going to look for animals, and then he uh, mysteriously discovers that he's going to be the king. I mean, it's, there's no doubt the rabbis were drawing from that story, but again, it's a telling and purposeful description of who are our leaders. Our leaders are not just people who are coordinating and, and, and have the, tech, te- the techniques of how to lead the people. They're paying attention, even to the little guy, even to the, uh, the, the animal on, on the side of the road. Elohim Horeva, the end of the Pasuk. So Moshe then happens upon this Har Elohim. There are several interpretations to the to the imagery of this fire inside of the bush, which is not burning the bush. Uh, all okay explanations, but here. Vayomer Moshe. Moshe, we get into... I don't think he's talking to his animals. I don't even think he's talking with his mouth. I think he's talking... This is his mind. We're getting into Moshe's mind. We just entered into the brain of Moshe, as if this is significant. I don't know. Let's just find out what God said to him. I got the burning bush imagery. It's really uh, moving and it's inspirational. Why do I care about Moshe's mindset in this moment? Let me go to the side and see what that spectacle is really all about. Why is the bush not burning? Why is that line similar to the question I asked you earlier of the unnecessary detail in the narrative about the daughter of Paro that she's going to bathe herself? Who cares about that? Why do I care about Moshe's mindset over here? Let me go and see this bush. Just say, he sees the bush. Because he could have just walked away. Because he could have just walked away. Because Moshe's introduction to an experience with God needs to be brought about through noticing another. It can't be, or noticing something outside of himself. It, by the way, brings us back to conversations from Sefer Bereshit, Avraham, of course. Of course. It is the story of Avraham. Avraham, in a nutshell, excels at noticing. Abraham is always raising his eyes and seeing. The first notable one is when he sees three, what he believes are people in a distance. The final one is when he raises his eyes and sees the mountain of encounter with God, Akedat Yitzchak, from a distance. 
Avraham's ability to, he excels at Ben Adam Lachavero, he is the Isha Chesed, my namesake of course, but he's the one who knows how to deal with others, while at the same time there's no contradiction, he's not the people, he's not the Chesed person as opposed to the God person, he's not the God person, they are one and the same because at their core it's noticing something, someone a being, a person, a world outside of yourself. It's the story of Moshe. It's the story of redemption. It is what a free person can and in turn needs to do. So the Torah is filled with all these descriptions leading up to Yetzirah Mitzrayim to describe to us, here's a people who can't do that. Now that you're redeemed, well, what are you going to do? You better be mimicking the Moshe. You better be seeing things through that prism of seeing others. Okay, and in turn, uh, very, just as telling Pasuk Dalet here, Vayar Adonai Kisar Lirot. Do you hear that statement? God sees that he turned off to see. And as a result, God speaks to him. It's an amazing thing. It should have just said, in the most simple sense, when we tell this story to our children, it was told to us, we say, and God spoke to him. No, 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 it's not what the Pasuk the Pasuk says. God spoke to him because God saw that he turned to see. It's a description of seeing, of noticing. That it is all about Moshe's leadership. Now, again, I will remind you, we know so little, and we have these biographical vignettes, but we don't really know about Moshe. We don't know anything about him in the palace. What we do know, and this for me has always been very important, is in addition, but obviously the main part is his spiritual connectedness, which he really has. But let me remind you, as a leader for liberation, ironically, he needs to be an outsider who can see things differently, who can notice others. When I'm stuck in it, well, to pull me out of that mud, out of that quagmire, I, I, I need someone, mud, um, I need someone who can, I need a sticky situation, I need someone who can, who has the liberty of, of just seeing. You know, it's, it's, it's not at all the same, but it's, it's a funny connection. Um, I remember once talking with someone who, who, who is very wealthy and he trying to convince me to do something in order to make more money. And I said, I have no appreciation for money, unfortunately. So he said, I never doubted you, Rabbi, at all. Everyone Shalom, you have that. So I said, but, but let me just be clear. I, I, just, I, don't, I, I want to be comfortable. I don't understand. So he said, I'm, I'm not trying to, to explain to you that this, that this idea is, is worth it for the money. What I am trying to explain to you is that if you do have that flexibility, if you have that comfort, so then you're not constrained by by uh, having to focus specifically and narrowly on, well, this task or that task. You have a certain liberty. You can open your eyes and see things and notice things the way others can't. It was a very telling description. Kind of opened my eyes to a positive side. I'm not extolling, I'm not saying that money is... I'm describing that there is a positive in addition to a beautiful, lavish, fantastic lifestyle and helping others. All, all very important, but... It also gives you a flexibility to focus on, so to speak, independently what you think can be focused upon, which you couldn't otherwise. That was, uh, for me, always a lesson from that. Anyway, it should point it out, by the way, he calls him by his name, back to last week, we never pointed this out, he calls him by his name and he responds to his name. That's, we, we could have added that to last week. And then, then the statement to Moshe is Pasuk Zayin, page twelve. 
ראו ראיתי את עוני עמי אשר במצרים. I saw their suffering. That's, that's God's statement. It's not just that I have a pact, which is important. It's not just that I owe it to them. And they're my nation. I see their suffering. And I hear their crying. As a result, I'm going to take them out. And again, he goes onward. And I hear their cries. It's a very, very telling and significant um, encounter with God in which you can't help but realize that this is the message. The message is, you see Moshe, and as a result, to be honest with you, so do I, and that's our mission now. Now, Moshe's initial hesitance will come up again later on. What is Moshe's hesitance? What does Moshe not want to do? He fears that he's not capable of talking properly, whatever that means. He can't get the message across for one reason or another, he might, although it doesn't seem that way to me, have some sort of speech impediment. It probably means he's not able to, maybe because he's not from the nation, because he's an outsider, articulate their mission. Something about Moshe, and we can, you, know, you can hypothesize a hundred different explanations as to why, he believes that he can't get the message through to B'nai Israel and to Parol. So I want to come back to that in a moment or two, why God says, no, uh, I need you anyway. Uh, why I need you anyway? If, if he's right, and God never tells him he's wrong, he says, okay, we'll send Aharon with you, so then why isn't Moshe's claim? I mean, I don't know, we want well-spoken leaders. That's, that's often the case when there's a president who we don't believe speaks well. Everybody makes fun of him. We say that it diminishes our self-esteem. We don't think we can accomplish things in the same way. But what is it? It's almost as if that's a good thing for Moshe, that he can't speak. So I want to come back to that in a little bit. But before that, I want to bring us to the beginning of this week's parasha. So the beginning of this week's parasha, that was all last week's parasha, but very much connected, obviously. It, uh, the, this theme only repeats itself in the initial stages. The initial stages are God is now turning to Moshe. All right, Moshe, I'm going to reappoint you. As, it's an important question as to why we need another appointment, but another appointment. This is your mission, Moshe. You're going to redeem the people. Let me tell you why. Well, first and foremost, Pasuk Dalit, I remember that I have a covenant. I have a pact. I have a deal with Avram Tzachin So that's, that's got to be repeated and understood. They developed this relationship with me, says God. I, I got to continue that. But, But, I got to tell you, I hear the cries. It's almost as if I'm reminded of my connection to these people because I notice them. Is that because he was waiting for them? We always see the cycle of Hashem with B'nai Israel. They cry out and then Hashem comes and he hears them until, let's say, they sin again or reassimilate. Like, is that kind of what was happening here? When they finally cried out, oh, we remember you, Hashem, please come help us? It's very possible. We saw in last week's parasha, it says, Vatal Shavatam El Elohim. It's almost as if I mean, to, to put it in the words that we're using, they finally, for some reason, that one I can't really crack. Why? What happened for them? All of a sudden they noticed, God, did they hit the, the, they hit the, 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 the point? They, right. In other words, they finally hit rock bottom? I'm not sure, but yes, 100%. God says, I hear them because they're crying out to me. They're noticing me. I'm noticing them. It's the theme through and through. And, and so says God, that as a result. Now, 
What's wrong with redemption? Why can't I get them out? If I come to Pasuk Tet, on page 30, He speaks this way to the people, and as much, Raquel, as they did hear God, as they were convinced by Moshe, They can't. They can't focus, they can't internalize his message of redemption, of liberation. Why not? Because they are working hard. Because they are enclosed. Because they don't have a liberated soul and spirit. Because they can't see and think in a broader sense. See something outside of themselves. Envision a future different than their current state of being. In truth, just on the side, parenthetically, there's a theme throughout this story as well. Haven't addressed it. Won't fully address it now. Of speech. Moshe and Aharon are going to be the speakers. The description, as a matter of fact, at the end of this next section will be Hem Hamidaberim. They're going to speak. Whereas the people were maybe crying out and groaning and moaning, Moshe and Aharon are the speakers. Speech will be a big part of the redemption as well. Who can speak? Who do we know can sit in coffee um, cafes and speak to one another? People who have that liberty people who have a life that allows for them to speak, who can and will tell their children stories about their childhood, about the future of their people, about their their family before they put their child to sleep, people who have the liberty to dream about the future, who care about the past because something significant happened, people who are slaves in a land for 200 plus years, do not freely speak, do not want to speak, cannot think about a future, don't envision a past of any significance, they don't speak. Of course, redemption from Egypt will be celebrated on Pesach when we speak and tell stories, because just telling stories is significant. Speaking to Paro again and again and again is significant. We can speak. Let me tell you what we want. We have demands. We have thoughts. We have. They're going to encamp prior to redemption at a place called Pi Hachirot, the mouth of redemption. This holiday, according to some, is broken up into Pesach, the mouth which talks. Speech, freedom of speech, I've more than once joked, is the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim. Speech representing freedom. Sorry, Mary. I'm not sure where you're going with the whole class. Go ahead. But you brought us back before to Shemot. Yes. Let's say in Terafet, and you said, um, we read it here, and it says, uh, give me a minute. Hashem heard the morning, Hashem remembered the. the yes. Seat, right? But now, when he sent Moshe, Moshe said that they didn't heed because they're so busy in the hard work. Right. So, so what may have happened is, what may have happened is, those Pesukim at the end of Parashat Shemot, where Paro gives them harder work. What did the harder work do? Firstly, what was the purpose? Secondly, what did it do to them? That's what took their mind off of what they were hoping for. So they opened their eyes, their hearts, they started to notice a God whom they cried to. He doubles down on them, and now they can't listen any longer. Yeah, double down is on, and it's, we'll, we'll come back to it in a moment. It's on page 24. Um, on page 24, I, I'll even read to you for a moment. Just listen to the word for a moment. Tichbad ha'avoda al ha'anashim v'ya'asuba. 
you should make heavier their work, tichbad, let's remember that word, ve'al yish'u, and they shouldn't listen to the words of falsity that Moshe is speaking. Take their ability to listen away from them. Give them heavy work. But the direction, just to be clear, of the class throughout, leave the speech on the side, but it's just as significant and the same point for all intents and purposes, is that for us to become free, we need to begin with being able to see and understand something outside of ourselves. That's a spiritual and emotional freedom. It's a responsibility in turn. I have to now pay attention to the other. But our slavery was more than just backbreaking work. It was more than just working out in the sun and then hurting ourselves and being busy. The busyness took away from inability to identify with others, to identify with a life outside of myself. I say that it's the same message as speech, because, for example, I'll just uh, tell you two things. But this past week, we had a, a, a meeting with someone from Israel. He, well, he's, a, he's a psychologist, a rabbi. And um, as we were meeting, and some people have been a part of this, it's almost like a, a gr- group therapy of, of Jewish educators. That was my first. I only sat in on it this past week. I thought I was sitting in for 10 minutes, and I stayed for an hour. It was more than anything, there was a silence and there was a depth. It was just, for me, it was fascinating that that could still exist. My life doesn't exist like that at all any longer. There's never silence and there's never... Anyway, so uh, in the middle, as we were finishing, so uh, this uh, therapist rabbi from Israel, see, he asked uh, everyone, he says, what did you get out of this? Of course, me being the visitor was the most significant one. I said that I stayed here more than 10 minutes. I thought that was, that was my lesson. But uh, So one of the rabbis who was in, in the crowd, he said, you know what for me is most significant that by listening to other people's perspectives, I ironically understand myself better. So I think there's a lot to be said for that because I think that's what's happening throughout this liberation. Ironically, there's this back and forth type of thing. I can't, I'm focused all on myself, I don't actually understand myself until I start focusing on others. When I focus on others, I focus the world around myself, I discover something about myself that I didn't know was there beforehand. It's the story, I mean, through and through in our lives. We sometimes feel most fulfilled when we pay attention to others. That's ridiculous. Why are you most fulfilled? Because I somehow tapped into an inner core of myself. I opened my eyes to a world outside of myself, and in this ironic, eye-opening experience, I I tapped into myself at a deeper level than I ever had beforehand. Before reading onward, I, I just want to pause as well and return to that same rabbi therapist and just identify, and I, I put us down last week compared to Israelis. I'm going to do it again this week. Um, I'm going to tell you something that he said. We were talking, what he did at the beginning of this session was, he said, everybody should say kind of what's on their mind now. Uh, so what are you on your mind? So some of the teachers said that they have on mind that they need a great test. Okay, in the here and now, they're being very honest. I said, I, my mind is, I'm looking forward to looking at trees with snow over the course of a vacation. I just want to stop. I love trees. I love snow. I just want to look at trees with snow. Everybody laughed at me, but I was just being honest. That's what I'm looking forward to. Anyway, so then it, it kind of, we finished talking and this group therapy kind of expression and then he didn't say anything. So a few people said, well, Rabbi, what about you? And so just understand, here's a person coming from, call it war zone Israel, um, speaking and doing his job, helping people and educators. He said he's going to Canada that night. He said, on my mind is I can't wait to get getting back to Israel. 
He said, I can't bear being outside of Israel now. He said, I, I just feel displaced. He was being very honest. He wasn't trying to be a hero. He was just being really honest. It's true he has children in the army, so, but, but I mean, what's being there changing? He said, I just don't feel connected here to myself because I don't feel as if I'm connected to the larger nation community outside of myself. It was, for me, a very touching and very telling statement. It was, I mean, he's describing himself and saying to us, I can't be here in a distracted way if I'm not able to hands-on actually be noticing and relevant and present for others. Um, Again, that's, I, I mentioned that in the same sentence as, I know we all do care and do a lot, which is all significant. But there are these stories that as a child I was told and then later read about, and, and I get them as well, and I understand why they, there were these well-known rabbis in Eastern Europe. And during the time of the First World War, uh, the stories about several of them is that they would sleep on the floor. Which, as a child, I, th- I remember hearing more than once, Hafez Haim slept on the floor during the, the entirety, the duration of World War I. And they asked him, well, why, are you sitting on the flo- why are you sleeping on the floor? He said, how could I not when there's torture and suffering amidst the people of my nation? And he said, and it's the least I can do to, in order to tap into it. He was begging his body and his mind, as I understand it today, to notice and truly notice others. He was saying to himself, I can stop and say Tehillim and think about them, but am I truly thinking about them? The closer I come to their experience, the more I'm really tapping into them and connecting to others. It's not a simple thing. And the more comfortable you are, the more capable you are to notice and at the same time to become distracted, it's very much the challenge of Yitziat Mitzrayim as it's developing in front of us right here. Okay, so the people can't pay attention to, uh, to Moshe because at this point they have too much work and they're distracted as a result of it. And then I get to what I wanted to focus most on and they're just briefly stating it on page 32. Moshe again turns to God and says to him, five lines before the end of the page on page 32. I don't speak well. Or, I won't speak well. How's Paro going to listen to me? What's Moshe's fear? My words? Moshe, Paro won't pay attention to me. What's God's answer? So he says, well, I gave you Aharon. You'll speak to Paro and, and he won't listen to you. That's what God says. That's the answer. The answer so Moshe says, I can't speak. The answer is, my words? That's the point, Moshe. That's the point. I'm going to try to speak to him. God, don't you want me to speak to him about getting us out of Egypt? God says, "Uh, absolutely, but he's not going to listen to me. I won't be able to relay this message to him. Says God, that's the point. He's going to have a hardened heart. That's the point. Why should that be the point? Shouldn't he be listening to me? Isn't that the point of my speaking to him? So I have a twofold answer. Number one, just by speaking, Moshe, speech, you can speak about the future, you can tell people that we can speak like that, that's in and of itself significant. Number two, let's turn the tables on Paro. Paro has caused our people to not be able to focus. He has caused us to not be able to notice and pay attention to anything outside of ourselves. 
Now, Moshe, we will enslave Paro while he sits in his throne. Every time you go and speak to him, you want to know what he won't be able to do? To notice something outside of himself. And then I'll strike his people, and they'll all be crying to him, and he'll have a hardened heart. And you know who has the hardened heart? The slave who can't focus on anyone but himself. In fact, the words that describe that hardened heart of Paro is kaved vayichbad. He has a heavy heart. Remember the heaviness that was at the end of Parashat Shemot, the heavy work. Paro gave us the heavy work to distract us, to take away from our spirit so we couldn't notice outside of ourselves, to turn us into spiritual slaves, emotional slaves, God says to Moshe, and this is the key point for me in the parasha, that every time Moshe appears in front of Paro, two things are happening. Number one, Moshe's speech, it's a point we made just a few moments ago, exerts and shows freedom. Only free people can speak about the future and about the past and about what they're entitled to. Every time you stand in front of him, Moshe, let it be known. Demonstrate for yourself and others that you're free people. No, but we're enslaved. You're free people. If you can talk like that, you're already free. Number two, let him not listen to you. So Moshe, you're nervous he's not going to listen to you? I couldn't find a better person to do this. That's exactly who I want. I want him to experience what your people have experienced for 200 plus years, the inability to see outside of themselves. It's, it's the, the point again and again, and in the most telling way throughout this description. So of course, it's funny that Paro can't hear it and it causes more plagues, but I think there's something again, deeper than it to it than that, and that is, he is a sitting slave. He is a wealthy, seemingly free person who in his heart, in his mind as a slave, can't see anyone or anything outside of himself. That's who Paro becomes before liberation from Egypt, before his people drown in the sea, before anything happens to Bnei Israel and getting out, he's already a slave. He can't listen to another. The same word, the same description of giving the heaviness of work to the people so they can't see outside of themselves, that's who Paro becomes. In truth, the last three of the Makot, next week's parasha, are all, they share one theme, Arbe, Hoshech, and Makat Bechorot. There's one theme that spans all three of them, that is darkness. Arbe, the Pasuk describes, is vatehashach. It covers the land. And you look out your window and it looks dark because, and you know, if, I, I've seen videos of this. When there's a lot of locusts, it looks like a dark cloud. The country is dark. Choshech, three days of absolute darkness. Darkness. Makat bechorot, in the middle of the night. Do you understand the theme in each of those circumstances? You can't see anything. For Bnei Israel, so there's light, and for the Egyptians, there's absolute darkness. Perhaps the depth of those last three makot are the point of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's again, they became the slaves even prior to getting out. And you, my people, says God, you're already free. You're already seeing beyond yourself. You're already noticing. You have the ability to notice and to see others. The truth is, and just concluding and putting it all together, Yitziat Mitzrayim then said in a sentence, the servitude to liberation to freedom 
is a story of not being able to care and notice the other to the point of realizing the other because I can now and as a result I'm able to. What's the enduring legacy as a result? It's what Moshe reminds the people a good dozen plus times in Sefer Devarim. Again and again and again, Moshe keeps coming back to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. He talks about Shabbat. And Shabbat in Parashat Vayet Hanan is different than Shabbat in Parashat Yitro. In Parashat Yitro, the description is, Shabbat is Zechel Ma'aseh Bereshit, the creation of the heavens and the earth. That's why he stopped on the seventh day. In Parashat Vayet Hanan, it's Zechel Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Therefore, what do you do on Shabbat? Give rest to the stranger and to the uh, slave and to anyone and everyone else. Asefet Devarim, make sure you pay attention to the widows and to the orphans and again to the strangers. Why so? Because you were slaves in Egypt. And in Sefer Devarim, everything that you encounter is about building a society which is just, a society which has empathy and care for the other. Why? Because you were in Egypt. Amazingly, the Egyptian experience the slavery experience of needing to focus on myself, of not being capable of seeing the other, contrasted by liberation, by freedom in which now I can. I act that role of Moshe. I see with the eyes, so to speak, of God, being able to hear the cries of others, seeing and noticing the world and the people around me, the Avraham experience again and again, it now makes me responsible for that. So the lesson then of Parashat Va'era, Shemot and Bo, all together, Yitzhak Mitzrayim is about seeing outside of yourself. It's certainly about experiencing a relationship with God. But more than that, what Moshe repeats in Sefer Devarim, and in my mind, such a relevant one right now, but always, is the ability to see the other. It's one thing to answer the call when your friend calls you and says they need help. It's another thing to notice it, to see it in their eyes prior to their call for help. It's one thing to assist another from a distance. It's another thing to look them in the eyes as you assist them. It's one thing to listen as they're speaking to you. It's another thing to go find them and ask them to speak to you during that time of need and difficulty. The description then of Yitzhak Mitzrayim of going from being a slave to being a free person is a description of what freedom means, but it's more than that. It's about the responsibility of a free person. It's the way God says, if you guys are noticing me, well, then I'm noticing you. It's the way Moshe, understanding that I am a free person and as a result can notice others, does notice others, goes out and starts paying attention to others. It's the initial stages of B'nai Yisrael as they start walking through Yam Suf and they see God and his hand, but it's the continued story of the people throughout the desert and their entrance into the land when they're actually a free and established nation. What do you do now? What do free people do? They have sympathy, but more than that, they have empathy, they have care, they have an experience on a consistent basis in which they notice a world outside of themselves and back to the irony of the rabbi in that, uh, in that session, the more you notice the people around you, the more you notice the world and beings and things outside of yourself, the more you understand yourself, the more you free yourself, so to speak. The description then of Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the description of becoming free. It's the description of the experience of noticing others. It's also on the 